0: uh, uh-huh. to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Steveovich, and we want to give each and every one of you a season's greetings. Today, on December 20th, 2019, we're going to get right into our topic of the day, which is the movie review of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Of course, we will start out with our high-level, spoiler-free impressions of the film before taking the spoiler elevator and going into a deep-dive analysis of the film. So we went and saw this late last night, 11.25 p.m. showing, XD Theater, and we were very curious to see what was in store for our eyes and ears, just because we were not fans of The Last Jedi film. There were things about that particular film that were good in concept, but ultimately we felt failed in execution, and uh, Ryan Johnson, who's the director, kind of made a mess of things. And So we were not sure what we were getting ourselves into, but, but here we are, and I have been curious to hear your thoughts on of
1: Skywalker Steve, so
0: why don't you start yeah, us off, boy? And then I'll jump in
1: after that. Well, I okay, so I walked into it, <laughs> <laughs> I walked kicking into it. and screaming, cursing yeah. your name. Um, okay, so I walked into it basically with low expectations because I really felt robbed by the last movie and I didn't want to feel as hurt as I did. Walking out of the last movie, walking into this movie. So I thought, okay, at least if I go in with low expectations and, I'm, and I have low expectations, then I'm not going to feel hurt. Rather, feeling high expectations and then getting smacked and spit in the face. So, <laughs> and then kicked on the ground. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Ultimately, I think they, they really did the best they could with what was ultimately a train wreck from pretty much from the beginning. I mean, the the first of this latter- The Force Awakens. Trilogy was not nearly as bad. It wasn't wasn't nearly as good, but I thought, okay. We actually had a pretty decent response to The Force Awakens. We saw it and we're like,
0: okay, it's not as good as the original trilogy. Right. But I, there are, I'm actually kind of digging
1: where what yeah, they're setting up here. I mean, when I saw the previews, I was jumping all over the place, like uh, 21 Jump Street. And- and then I saw it and I thought, okay, I can't expect it to be Lucas because it's not Lucas, it's someone else's vision and they want to keep it alive, so I'm, I'm down with that. And not really know about these characters yet, but I'm keeping an open mind and the, the technology is there, the visuals are there, so I'm like, okay, let me let me just ride with this and see where, they, where it goes. And then the second movie came out and I'm like, ouch, that really hurt. So I thought, okay, how are they going to wrap this up? Because it went from basically, okay, at best, for me, to terrible. And now I I just didn't know how they're going to wrap it up. I mean, like, you guys are in a mess. You're in a bind here. You're backed into a corner. How are you going to fix this with the last movie of its trilogy? Because, A, you're going to have to explain to the fans that hated the movie, we're sorry, and this is how we're going to make it up better. And then, B, you got a ton of, like, plot holes that you got to fill and then C, you got to wrap everything up with some sort of conclusion. That is a lot with the last movie in the trilogy. You know I mean, you should just be wrapping it up by then, not having to explain and go backwards and try to adjust character arcs and introduce new characters, you know, this, that, and the other. So I don't know. I, I feel like they did the best they could with the train wreck, um, but that's just not giving the movie a whole lot of credit. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm, I'm... I can't say I'm disappointed because I walked in there with low expectations. Come out, I came out of there with with kind of the same feeling,
0: you know. I what mean, was it like? What you, like kind of like what you were
1: expecting, or did it was it a little better than what you were going in with? No, it was about what I went in with. Okay. Um, I mean, I the the only part that I really. Felt somewhat decent with was some of the 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 like the the special not really the special effects but some of the cinematography was was really good. And yeah. I thought, man, that could be a poster on my wall. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, I mean, how are you going to explain Ray being totally overpowered and perfect at everything on the last movie? I mean, are you just going to you know force feed us facts? I mean, how are you going to really do this? I mean, I really when I mean, we we had been watching the, the all the trailers that have been coming out and discussing the characters since last year, and we came to the conclusion, like, okay, what are they going to do? Because we really don't care what happens to all these characters. We have no emotional attachment to them, no connection whatsoever, and uh, they're just kind of cookie-cutter characters that have no depth, and so we didn't really care what ha- ha- what happens. And so that's what I went into this, thinking that, okay, I like Lando, and I like Chewie. Everybody else can kind of kiss off, <laughs> since, you know? Um, and so that that's... What I was sitting there watching, and um, I still like uh, Lando and Chewy, and but I still want to watch their the episode four, five, and six until yeah. I get old and die. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for me, um, I have a, a number of high level thoughts. Um, it's interesting that, that you use the word train wreck when it came to the last Jedi. Cause I actually have that in my notes as well, ah. that it was, I felt as though this film was better than the train wreck. That was the last Jedi. I think the pacing was much more succinct with like the kind of the classic star Wars movies. I think that the, the strongest aspect of the film is the relationship between Kylo Ren and Ray. And we'll get into that later. I simply, um, do not have an emotional attachment with any of the newer characters. And I think that's a big problem because when I think of the original trilogy, I was heavily invested in just about every character that was out there. All at least all the main characters and supporting characters. And we can get into that uh, a little bit later as well, but I think the plot has some novel ideas, but unfortunately they don't do a deep dive into any of them. It's kind of like, Oh, they introduce this thing. It's like, oh, okay. I I'm, I'm digging this, but then it's all surface level. Like there's, there's not enough time to go into it. And, uh, and I think in terms of being like you know, with my spoiler free mindset, it's almost like I kind of wish that this was the second film with the opportunity to make a third film, like if they had JJ Abrams just do all three films, I think that we would have had a much more enjoyable experience because I almost want to combine parts of the last Jedi that again, that were good in terms of an idea or concept and mesh them or merge them with some of the concepts and ideas from the rise of Skywalker because I think you would have a very compelling film at that point in time. And, and well, like I said, I'm holding off on, on the details of that for now, but it, yeah, <laughs> I I will. I mean, I I'm here to tell you that I do think that this film is better than the last Jedi. I do, I do say that, that the going to it, they did the best I think I think they did not not the best they could, but I think they really made a concentrated effort to right a lot of the wrongs that many fans of Star Wars have objected to and have issues with and that sort of thing. And so I mean, I, I can I can applaud them for that. you know I, I think that it could I think the film could have been way worse than it was. and I think that there are some redeemable aspects to the film. so if you're I would say this if if you're a a diehard Star Wars fan. I think that, that they should take the same approach that we did, which just, you need to go in with low expectations. Not like crazy low, but just go in with, with don't have that, I'm going to stand in line for three hours mentality <laughs> kind of thing. Just go in thinking, okay, I'm going to go in, we're, we're going to see how this is and I think that you will have a, a much better time. Having said that though, I do not think that this film is as good as say, Rogue One, right?
1: No, not even.
0: Yeah, if, if that gives you any kind of sense of an idea.
1: Yeah, but. I mean, I think if you if you hated the last movie, you're probably not going to like this one. I think if you like everything that has the name Star Wars stamped on it, then you'll like it pretty much because there's definitely those folks out there, and I, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if you're hoping for something better than what you've been seeing, then I, I probably would just wait for it to come out on Netflix or Disney Plus or just maybe buy the movie, but. I don't know if I'd really go see it in the theaters and spend the money.
0: And well, then step with me.
1: Not there.
0: <laughs> step with me into the spoiler elevator, Steve. <laughs>
1: these doors have
0: steam. Oh, man, this, these look more like blast doors than elevator
1: doors. Open the blast door. Open the blast door. <laughs> I can't hear the guy say S, like blast door. And just in the stormtrooper, all I like, hear is black, like B-L-A-T, black door. Open the black door.
0: <laughs> well, the film was made in the 70s. The audio <laughs> quality wasn't exactly where it is today. Oh, man. I wonder, if you're a Jedi, you know, you could make the elevator go up and down without the use of the motor at all. You could just force push or force levitate or whatever. I think I would have way too much fun with that if I was, like, in a natural hotel. You know?
1: I think I would just use a force and say, this is not the elevator you're looking for.
0: <laughs> this is not the floor you're looking for. Yeah. Just just, mess with the patrons of a hotel. Yeah. Your floor is not on floor seven. It is on floor eight. <laughs> That's what they should do for the sequel. Jedi's messing with...
1: The Aliens of the Galaxy. I wonder what Robot Chicken and Family Guy are going to do to these later Star Wars. You well, know?
0: they have they have uh, a lot to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. We have gotten to our spoiler floor, and so be warned. We are about to do a deep dive analysis of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, where lots of spoilers will be commonplace. It will be everywhere! So, if you have not seen the film, uh, we encourage you to pause us at this point in time, and then come back once you've seen the film. Unless, of course, you just don't care, and that's totally fine, too. You can keep on listening if, if spoilers do not bother you one bit. So, I say, let's get started into the plot. How's does that sound? Sure, Russ! <laughs> let's start there. Alright, so when it comes to the plot, we are met with Ray, who's going through some of her Jedi training. Mm-hmm. And I think, I for one, actually thought it was a really neat idea about how Leia was m- more or less kind of her Jedi master who's helping her with her training, which is cool because obviously Leia is the brother of Luke Skywalker. She has um, a lot of um, incredible Jedi capability and power, that sort of thing. And and um, we are just led to believe that Luke was training her to, to unleash that potential within herself as well. So it makes sense since Luke is uh, no longer here due to. <laughs>
1: Ryan Johnson, thanks. Make your own assumptions. Yeah, she was probably trained here. And maybe this happened at that point. And then you know. Well, actually,
0: it wasn't even assumptions though, because they did show it in the film. <laughs> there, there is a scene where they're younger and they're they're doing the training and yeah, stuff. Well, and so they, it,
1: well, they had to explain it in this one because no one knew it with the last one, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and maybe along the line somewhere chronologically,
0: <laughs> in between her Mary Poppinsing her way uh, back through the outer space <laughs> to the ship when she was yeah. jettisoned out, and uh, I don't know. Creative differences. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> So when it comes to this, we see that that's going on. Uh, I, for one, really like that. That was, it goes back to the, what I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, which is I feel as though seeing Rey go through the various training. Obviously she's, she's taking time looking through those Jedi books that she found from the second film. She's going through these different physical, we'll call it P.E., uh, <laughs> physical education. I don't know. But anyway, she's going through her thing. And, um, but I found myself believing that she is a capable Jedi by, by seeing that montage take place. Like you have to see that stuff go on. And I feel like that should have happened in the second film. But in this particular film, we see that going on and, we also um, discover that, that Kylo Ren is trying to find where um, the Sith planet is located. And the Sith planet has existed for a long time in the star Wars universe. It's never been shown in the movies, but in comic books and uh, novels and stuff like that, it is talked about quite a bit. I think, I think even video games too, we've, we've had nods to that sort of thing. So that was interesting as well, where he actually comes face to face and they revealed it early on that the emperor has been brought back to
1: life. And so what did you think of that? I thought it was misplaced. I mean, we had been talking all along about how Snoke was going to be cool and then Snoke died. And then I thought, I mean, I remember, I think I mentioned it on <laughs> this time last year. Like, what are they going to do now? I mean, because the villain's dead and you have a third movie coming out. And what are you going to do? So I don't know. I kind of thought it was misplaced to bring the Emperor back I only to kill him again. I, I think that they wanted to please the fans and they thought, what well, would the fans hate the least, <laughs> what would they think? Oh, that was kind of an interesting idea to have. And then I thought, okay, well, let's just bring the Emperor back. Um, but I don't know. It didn't really feel like, I don't know. I, it, it was kind of like a snatch and grab. And it's like, okay, here you go. And we're going to give him to him. And now we're going to take him away just to kind of appease you at the end. I did, I just didn't feel like it was meaningful. Uh, it was nice to see him on screen. I thought, you know, the actor uh, did Yeah, he brought Ian McDermott. Yeah, he brought him back. And I thought that was really, really cool. But as far as the story and the plot, I just kind of thought it was odd. So I don't know. So my, my take on it is,
0: I think, again, I think the idea of how they were able to bring him back is an interesting one. I think that when it comes to how you have the Sith planet and they have this means like, like if you notice there was like this vat of like Supreme leader Snoke clones that were all kind of like in a pile in there, which it led me to believe that, they have certain practices or certain technology or maybe a combination of both black magic well right like like i think they were communicating the idea that if you go to the dark side of the force how like you there are certain types of practices where perhaps you can bring back or or have like the essence Uh, be brought back from the force into like a cloned version or whatever it is. But, but there, but there is some like we'll just call it black magic that's there. But I'm thinking, okay, that's actually intriguing to me. I like the idea of that, but they didn't really, again, they didn't do a deep dive into, okay, how does that happen? How does that work? And I don't want, I'm not saying I'm looking for something that explains every little nook and cranny of that, but, the like like the most of what what we got was that the emperor we see him hooked up to kind of like this this uh life support system, and you can tell he's clearly not at a hundred percent, but he is there, and we're and we see how there are these minions that are also working on some other people or you know Sith lords or whatever it is like 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 they are clearly busy at work doing their kind of thing. I almost got kind of a Lord of the Rings vibe when they were in the um. When they created that that thing, I think it was by uh, Saruman's castle. You know where they they brought mm-hmm. down all the trees and they made like the the workshop of sorts. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of had a little bit of that vibe to it. But again, I wanted, and actually, I'm glad I just thought of this because if I were to compare those two movies, there was a significant amount of time in the Lord of the Rings movies where they showed what it was they were doing in that area like like they 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 ripped all the trees down they turned it into the kind of this uh armory mining facility thing and they were breeding the the orukai right. and so you really started to have an understanding and purpose as to like what was what was happening what was going on it wasn't just oh there's this evil scary place and that's it Right. It's like, no, like, like they took the time to really flesh this thing out. And so then that becomes all the more threatening or terrifying to me as a moviegoer. Like, wow, okay, that's really messed up. We got to stop this kind of thing. And I feel like that there just needed to be more time placed for that in particular. But in terms of the emperor, it's like what you were saying too they they killed Supreme Leader Snoke in the second film and he really had no backstory. Mm-hmm. There was an attempt in this film to be like, we, we discover that actually um, Snoke was taught by Palpatine and was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Like clearly Palpatine had um, multiple Padawans or I don't know what, what the Sith version is of a, a Padawan learner, but basically the, the, these different uh, protégés but then again, we don't do a deep dive into that either. Like, why why is it that they have gone to great lengths to make multiple versions of Supreme Leader Snoke? Are there multiple Supreme Leader Snokes that exist in the galaxy that are just kind of watching over different sects of the galaxy? Who knows? And I think that that's that not necessarily a bad thing that they didn't say anything about that. It, it just lets the mind kind of fill in those, those creative gaps. Fine that's cool. But at the same time, I just feel like there need to be a little bit more into that. So we see how these characters, you know, they, they, they have a, um, a spy who gives them some very important information. One of the things that I noticed right away was Finn and Poe, Ray, they all, have a more mature feel to their characters in this film as opposed to the last two films.
1: Did you get that? Not More so, I think, with Finn than for Ray and Poe, um, but slightly. I mean, they, they kind of, I guess, embraced their role. They've, they have some more responsibility. They're recognized as having some authority, and so I think they, they took it, but I wouldn't say they, they had changed that much from the beginning. I wouldn't
0: say that there's not as much immaturity. I think that there's more of a a cohesiveness in terms of the chemistry of those characters. And I thought that that was something that was welcome. But of course, they get get this information. Um, One of the things actually that I thought was really cool was the idea of light speed skipping or jumping. Light speed jumping, I think it was what it was. I think it was skipping, yeah. Was it skipping, light skipping? That was actually really cool. I liked how they're exploring more of this idea of like, okay, how can you manipulate light speed? It's not just you go in light speed, you see the stars turning into lines and you blast off. Like what are some of the things that you can do? What are some of the dangers of that as well? And it, it gave an opportunity to be able to showcase different areas of the galaxy. If you notice, like, I mean, he was at random, like stopping it and all of a sudden they're in who knows where they are. And they're almost bumping into things. And again, if you think of light speed, you assume that there is some sort of uh, mathematical, geographical computer that has to like make all these assessments before you launch into light speed, because otherwise you could crash into something and you're into a million pieces and stuff. And so, it was interesting to see how he was doing that. What did you think of, of that?
1: Yeah, I thought that was just kind of a, a risk they're willing to take because of with the last film. They took so long to say, oh, you're running out of fuel. Oh, here's what's happening in another part of the movie. Oh, here's back again. Yeah, we're almost out of fuel. And then so the fuel thing was but just like ships. Yeah, really. I'm getting closer. Yeah, dead weight to the, the whole movie. So I thought at, and on the first part, oh, you know, that's really going to suck the gas down going in and out of you know hyperspace. Yeah, that's like flooring your car and then stopping right away, flooring your car. And that's going to suck up the gas. What are they going to do with it? And so not, they didn't mention anything about anyone's fuel reserves. So I thought okay well, that the funny. falcon was
0: like on fire and in bad uh, well
1: yeah I mean they were I mean they were bumping into
0: stuff. I mean he wasn't flying like it wasn't like an immaculate cautiously. flight like like it, they didn't get any damage or anything cuz when they landed I mean the falcon was looking pretty beat up. Yeah,
1: I mean it was beat up. I mean of course it was beat up because they when they when they would come out of light speed they were bumping into like different stuff while in flight. So of course you're going to incur some damage. But then I thought, OK, yeah, without all the calculations, um, why, are, why aren't they hitting more stuff? And how come all the TIE fighters behind them know exactly when to come out of hyperspace, too, without actually having, like, cameras and they're noticing when? Because, I mean, within one second, if they don't come out of hyperspace, they're going to be in a totally different part of the galaxy, for crying out loud. OK,
0: so that is a very good point. I don't know if we missed something in that or not. I don't think we did, but right. I but I do think that's a very valid point where on the one hand, I like the idea of, like I said, the the, the light speed, j- what was it light jumping I, I think, or light was, skipping? Light, I think when I said skipping. Yeah. Light skipping, something like that. I really like the idea of that. I, I sincerely do, but at the same time, yeah, that does beg the question, how on earth do the TIE fighters know when Poe's going to come out of light speed and then go back into it. I mean, fine, like you see him go into light speed, fine. You can do it too. I don't... I, I, remember, I, I remember... Okay, let, let's back up to The Last Jedi. Yeah. In The Last Jedi, I do recall them having some kind of technology on the Star Destroyer. Remember that? Remember how like they were chasing after the the Corillian? I don't know if it was a Corellian frigate or... It was basically, you know, they're after the resistance. No, that was the acrylic. Acrylic, acrylic. yeah. (laughs) Something's not right about this. (laughs) But I remember as they were in Lightspeed, the Star Destroyer was also... Remember how they they were following them through Lightspeed because they had some kind of tech or something that allowed them to track?
1: Yeah, it was was some sort of... uh, Yeah, but I mean, that's on a bigger ship. You're not talking about some short-range TIE fighter. But again... I think we have to
0: ask ourselves, too. Like, like again, you're making that statement based on the traditional TIE fighter that we've known from the original trilogy. This is in the future from that trilogy. So perhaps there is some sort of tech that allows
1: even the TIE fighters to have that capability. True, although you got to think in the original trilogy, once the Millennium Falcon took off... Remember in the in the in the starter story, they were saying, "Well, should we go after them?" sir? And they go, "Oh, that's they're in lightspeed. They could be on the other side of the galaxy by now." You but, know, but that was that, the original trilogy. Uh, the original trilogy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have we're not and we're not that far from the original trilogy as far as time goes.
0: Well, we don't know exactly. Like we can look at our timeline and think, okay, well, the original Star Wars film came out in 1977, and that was like what 42, 43 years ago. I mean, and if you were to look at and again, we're, I'm this is a flawed argument because we're using our own logic to explain this. When in fact, this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> but in terms of like, if we were to look at technology on Earth, for instance, technology keeps doubling faster and faster and faster. When we we are way more technologically advanced today than we were back in 1977. So if we were to take that concept and apply it to the Star Wars universe, I do think that it is. I'm willing to, as a viewer to believe that it is probable that the TIE fighters can have that kind of tech in their, their, their TIE fighters since the star destroyers have them as well, especially considering that fuel's these, not a problem. Right. These, these films, <laughs> they, they don't just take, they don't, they don't um, resume where the last one ends. Like there is a period of time in there where like some stretch of time has taken place. So I, I don't know for me, now that we've kind of talked through it a bit, I can get there personally. I can accept that and be like, okay, fine. There is something like that that can exist due to the fact that technology can evolve and that sort of thing. So I'm I'm on board. Yeah,
1: although at the same time, if you're going to think that way, you have to also think that jumping into light speed is not that cool anymore. It's not that evasive because if someone can just follow you, then what's the What's the urgency of, of saying we got to jump into light speed now because someone's just going to follow you? And like, yeah, okay, well, it's not that. <laughs> it kind of removes a bit of that mystique of we're going to light speed and okay, we're out. That's our escape. I do think, yeah. And I, and I think that
0: that was one of the major payoffs from the original trilogy is like when a ship was successfully able to make that jump into light speed then that was like the hooray, we did it, you know, kind of thing. And of course, when you think of like Empire Strikes Back, that was the running gag was the Millennium Falcon was always having something falling apart, so it couldn't make that jump. And so when it finally was able to do it, that was the huge payoff, you know. Yeah. But I I will say, though, when it comes to this, this next trilogy, I think that's a novel concept is, okay, we know from the original trilogy that... That, that is the payoff, right? Everyone expects that, oh, when our heroes make that jump to light speed, then they're safe. Well, what if we remove that? What if we introduce the idea that the bad guys have devised a way because they are the galactic empire? And I know I would definitely, if I was in charge, want to have some kind of tech that would allow us to track them so they wouldn't just make that escape. And then we don't know where they are in the galaxy. I do think that that does introduce a sense of dread to the overall equation. And so I, for one, like, I think it would be cool. I think the balance, so to speak, is if they're able to make the jump themselves in the light speed and are able to track them within a very small window, like it gives them a small window of opportunity to be able to try and track with them. But if they miss that window, then then they are unable to track them at all. I think that's a very fair approach to that particular concept. Because I, I, for one, really, like, if I, if I tap into my more sinister side, that's a pretty juicy idea. It's like, ooh, that's really cool, because it makes the Empire that much more threatening because you can't just easily or as easily get away from them. And there's more of that oppressiveness that starts to come in. It's like, wow, like, I'm feeling more desperate as a hero or a smuggler trying to make my way through because I'm thinking, you know, my light speed was, was kind of my golden ticket back in the day, but now it's like, wow. Okay. Now it's more of a struggle to get away. And so I I think that that kind of thing is, is, uh, is pretty cool. But so they, they get back to their resistance secret hideout. They, they share the news of what's going on. And in this case, of course, it is that um, well, not, of course, it's not like, like we all knew, but (laughs) um obviously yeah in this situation the the news is that uh, palpatine is alive and is on some sort of is uh, a zombie right yeah he's (laughs) he's part of the walking dead and he is on this sith planet but they don't know where the planet is located although we do know it's dark and stormy yeah it it is (laughs) it is is no hawaii
1: (laughs) With Wouldn't that
0: be funny if like <laughs> they get there and it's like some Hawaiian paradise? they like, yeah, I really had no
1: idea whatsoever. I'm
0: so tempted to go to the dark side right now. I know. <laughs> that name is so misleading. I don't understand. <laughs> look, look, they all have little drinks with small hats. Yeah. Anyway, they start to go on this this journey of trying to figure out where this planet is, and of course, with Kylo Ren, he also is looking at what his motivation is going to be because Palpatine has propositioned him to help uh, with with trying to restore the dominance and the galaxy and that sort of thing. But of course, but he is still also very obsessed with trying to win Ray over because of the connection they have. What did you think of the journey that? that our our crew went on in terms of, of going and trying to find out this information?
1: It felt kind of like a video game, honestly. It felt like, um, I'm looking for the term, but uh, you know, like, for example, in, in The Fallen Order, where you're kind of jumping around from planet to planet, and it's kind of a, of a video game thing to do um it felt like that in this <laughs> you've been movie. playing
0: a lot of jedi fallen order lately. yes
1: i have well when i play fallen order i don't want when i play a game i don't want to necessarily feel like the game i'm playing is now the blockbuster movie i'm watching i kind of want a movie to be a movie and a game to be a game um and it kind of felt like that watching this where they just decided to, to planet hop so i felt like i don't know when, when you, for example, let's say Luke Skywalker went to the Dagobah system. He gets the, he's saying he's going to go, he's planning on going. It takes a while for him to get there, but he arrives and he settles down. He looks around. Okay, this is the place. I'm a little bit unfamiliar with it. What's going to happen? I need to explore. This one is more like just world hopping. Okay, I got to go here. I got to get this. Okay, now I got to go out there. I got to get that. Okay, now it's like, so we're, they're doing errands to jumping around worlds, but they don't necessarily leave us there for long enough to, for it to feel. Um, like it's worth showing that scene or exploring or it just seemed like he was going at a break. Now, you know what it felt like in the beginning of the movie when they were light speed skipping? That's how the pacing of the entire movie went. And so you're jumping around from worlds, but they don't give you enough time to really settle down and think about what's happening. Sure. They just up and leave again. So the whole entire journey doesn't feel exhausting. And almost the more exhausting part is just trying to keep up with all that they are doing. Yeah. Um, so
0: it, I don't know. I went back and forth on that just because I appreciated the quicker pacing. Oh. It had a sense of... of um, uh, not not a rushed sensation but more of a desperation i guess you could say like like they, they knew they had to get this taken care of and and so i just i to me star wars it, there there's kind of a back and forth where like you do have that very quick uh, moment or two but you also like to your point have Times when things are very much purposely slowed down and you're able to digest a lot of what's going on.
1: For me as a viewer, I need that. I need that in order for me to feel like what they're trying to tell me is important.
0: That's why Empire Strikes Back is awesome. I know. Because it has it strikes the perfect balance between you have the very quick action-packed scenes, but you also have the scenes where there's a lot of slow burn lots of, of um, introspective decision-making and and uh, discovery, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's iconic. In this particular instance, though, they did a lot of planet hopping because, first of all, they had to figure out where they had to go in order to, to, to find this Sith planet. And so they went to that one planet where they run into Lando Calrissian, which, of course, it was fantastic to see. It was like Brazil Carnival happening over there. <laughs> you know what was funny was <laughs> when I saw what was going on, I
1: instantly thought of Burning Man. Have you heard of Burning Man? Yes, I've heard of Burning Man. Everybody used to come and get their cars and actually bicycles all ready to go for Burning Man. Yeah, I... I, I it's kind of the modern day hippie fest. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I think that, that
0: there are probably people out there who have not heard of it. Burning Man takes place in Nevada. <laughs> middle of friggin' nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, and they they do it over where um, a large swath of playa is located, and it happens once a year. Essentially, you it's have kind of
1: like Woodstock in a way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like kind of like a desert version of Woodstock, but without the prof- professional bands. It's like a lot of um, people in tech and other folks they get together, and for like I think one week they hang out in the desert, take a bunch <laughs> of trippy drugs. Yeah, then they they decide that they are going to dress very colorfully and dance and do all kinds of uh, (laughs) mind-opening things. Howling at the moon. But But that was where my mind was. I saw them all dance. I'm like, dude, this totally reminds me of Burning Man. And it's funny because I lived in Reno for a couple of years and I would see... Uh, when that time of year came around, these long lines of just crazy vans and cars and yep. folks and stuff making their pilgrimage out that
1: way. So going to Burning Man. <laughs> I hear the fires are like totally hot. <laughs> 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 I want to see the,
0: all the colors. <laughs> because it's, we're like in a desert and so everything's brown. <laughs> so we're going to bring like every other color except brown and make it colorful. Yeah. You know, one of the problems with a side note is apparently they don't do a very good job cleaning up. Yeah,
1: gross.
0: Anyway, I... Anybody
1: seen my shorts? It's my lucky <laughs> pair. I uh, might have left them in the middle of the desert. Now sure what's happening. <laughs>
0: so they meet Lando at this particular planet, which was a, a welcome scene. And it got me thinking about how every time we see a member of the original crew, there is a immediate emotional attachment because clearly we've seen them in previous films. However, I don't get that same type of response with the new cast, which is very telling because even like, like for instance, Billy D. Williams, he's old. I mean, he's, he's a senior citizen and he's not in this film very much, but the times that you see him, you're instantly given that nostalgic feeling and that he definitely has a swagger that is exclusive to his character, and I, I think that was one of the biggest things. Is like when I think of Luke, or I think of Han, or Leia, or Lando, even Chewie, They each have an uh, like a, a character archetype that is exclusive to them, and works extremely well when combined together. If you combine them all together, you you get this perfect formula, and I don't think that that. Is present with the 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 more current
1: cast, right? Well, no, I I do
0: think that they gelled with each other to a certain
1: extent, but the chemistry, the swagger, is not there, right? Yeah, well, I think I think you have these people who are trying to play it safe instead of just. I think Lucas had the idea of okay, I want a a strong personality here, I want a strong personality there, and I have all this, this idea of who I want to play what. And, you know, there's there's a sense of femininity and a sense of masculinity. And I think that really exude with the original Star Wars trilogy, where this later trilogy, I think they're trying to be a a bit sensitive where we go, well, we don't want to play too masculine. We don't want to play too feminine because we want to appeal to all like a bigger market. And so I think what you get is a kind of a blending of the two. Where I think we when we, because I had the same thought. I thought, man, Lando's there and he has more masculinity at his old age than the entire cast on this rest of this movie. And like, I come on,
0: totally agree. You know, that, and that, you know, okay. So I, I wasn't going to get into that until we we started talking about the cast specifically. But since you brought it up. I completely agree. I think that when it comes to, and again, I'm I'm not making a blanket statement with all of the actors or characters uh, who are new, but the majority of them definitely is that case where if you look at Harrison Ford or you look at Billy (laughs) D Williams, Harrison
1: Ford has more
0: masculinity in a lip twitch. (laughs) (laughs) uh, He has more masculinity in his lopsided grin. (laughs)
1: And his chin scar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his chin scar. <laughs> but yeah, I, I found myself thinking the exact same thing where you have a lot of beta males that are present in here and there is a, a distinct difference or, or departure, I would say, when it comes to um, the the men and women really, when it comes to the original trilogy, when I saw them versus the, the new folks, like even I know that we've been referencing Lord of the Rings a couple of times during the program, but having, um, Oh, what's his name? Pippin. No, Mary, Mary. Yeah. The, the, the actor who played Mary from Lord of the Rings, he's in, like, like out of all the people, of all the, the the males that you could have chosen to have a, a scene with the Resistance, you choose one of the Hobbits. <laughs> right. Like, if you compare that, once again, to, like, Wedge Antilles, who does make a cameo appearance in this film as well, going am you know, brandishing his, his uh, X-Wing fighter, but when you look at that, you're thinking, he looks like a child, like, why I don't understand that. Yeah, but we'll, exactly. We'll, we'll get into that more later. Going back to the plot, so they they did, they realize that there is some sort of of a Sith Lord who perished, who was on this planet looking for something, and and Luke Skywalker was also on the hunt to try and find this thing, and he was unsuccessful in finding it. So they go kind of where Luke stopped looking. They meet it with Lando there. Um, they are able to find this this Sith Lord's ship and are able to, to find also this knife that apparently was like his go-to weapon or something. And um, again, as an idea, I think that's cool because again, I, I want to know, the, the, the entire Star Wars galaxy is not exclusive to only the Skywalkers, right? It's not limited to just Han Solo and Chewie there are billions and billions of, of species of aliens and humanoids that exist in this world. And some of which are Jedis and some of which are Sith. And, and just, it makes it for a much more rich world when we're able to find out more about this. So I like the idea that that, that existed. I would say one of um, actually one of my favorite scenes in this movie was around that time when they were on that planet and they had captured Chewbacca and and one of the transport ships was on its way out. I thought that that was really, really cool to watch the power of Ray as she was able to hold that ship from taking off. And then Kylo Ren comes up and they have kind of a tug of war using the force. That actually is really, really cool because I have always thought about how if you are really powerful in the Force. You should be able to transcend lifting stones into the air and you should be able to be, you know, a force to be reckoned with when it comes to just these large scale types of situations. And we've seen that happen in like video game trailers and that sort of thing. And I think they've they've been a little bit more liberal with that. But I was very happy to see that in this film where she's able to like use it and all of a sudden that ship can't go anywhere. It's like, oh, that's really powerful. I was especially pleased to see when the lightning came out of her hands because that has been only a Sith thing up to this point, and she is on the light side, not the dark side. That is a really, I I, I applaud J.J. Abrams and the crew for taking that risk and doing that. And immediately, even before they talk about how she is, in fact, the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine, My mind instantly goes to, oh, I wonder if there's a connection there. And that was a, to me, that was like a gleam of like the Star Wars magic where I was like, I did not see that coming. And that is super cool. Like, like, especially because it came from Ray.
1: I liked that quite a bit. What'd you think about this? Yeah, I I didn't expect that to happen. I knew that ship was going to bust. I mean, I... you have a tug of war, something's gotta give. She's either or was either some one of them was gonna hit the other one with something, or the ship was gonna explode. I didn't know how it was gonna happen, but I just knew it was gonna happen and it did. I didn't expect the uh, the lightning to come out, and then I thought, okay, if it is lightning, why is the ship exploding? Because you have to have you have to have ground for the lightning really to do some damage, Russ. She's on the ground, Steve. Yeah, I know, but the ship wasn't. <laughs> but she's connected. A, a Boeing 747 in the air can get hit by lightning. Nothing happens. <laughs> Well, they don't have the forest. Do you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> they have they have insulation. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was funnier than you did. I probably, no, no, uh, no.
0: Anyway. I, I was staying silent because I thought you were going to say something. I didn't want to catch you off. I was trying to catch my breath.
1: But oh, no, oh, yeah, no but I, I was pretty much done. Okay, but, that, that but, but was, you like that scene. I like that one little factoid, that little detail of the entire movie. Yes, that one little crumb was cool. Yes. Well, let, let me introduce some other things to you. Let's see
0: if this also jogs the old noodle thirsty. Mm. So they so they find this this uh this ceremonial stabbing daggers thing. I don't even know what, what they call this it.
1: This artifact that looks like plastic. And this artifact that looks evil because it's <laughs> made by Mattel. <laughs>
0: but it has writing, has inscriptions on there that is in the Sith language. Again, I thought I found myself appreciating the fact that C-3PO was looking at it. And even though I think he, he was able to decipher what it said, he was unable to actually say what it meant or whatever due to his programming. Very cool.
1: Uh, I, I, I don't know. That was, that was something that was driving the story to, I think, introduce more characters. But I didn't think that was that cool because that kind of defeats the purpose of him having to know all these languages. Not not all the way because, you know, there's tons of planets, tons of species. He's got to know a bunch of languages. But I mean, when you need them the most, when you're facing your enemy and you say, okay, what does this say? And c 3 P goes, well, I could tell you, but then I'm going to break down. And yeah, we got to go see someone special to actually get it out of my memory. Like, who designed that? Like, come on. Well, I see, I disagree. I think
0: that... It's a fail-safe device. If you're at war with a country or a world or whatever it may be, you want to make sure that any oops, any kind of uh equipment or technology you have, you don't want it to fall into the wrong hands and you don't want spies to be able to leverage your network, do you? So when it comes to the droids like for instance C3PO, his his entire purpose is He's a communicator. He he's he's designed to be able to communicate between different species of different worlds, and and you know have commerce occur or have um, peace relations or whatever it is. Human cyborg relations. Ex- there you go. So he's very helpful in that regard, but I could totally see how, for security purposes, I would want to have his programming be set up the way how they explained it. Where yes, we do have this but we we will make it against his programming so that he is able to actually accurately share. Well, not, I mean it's not even accurately. It's just we're going to make it so he can't share any kind of thing that has to do with like the Sith language because that could either inform people who perhaps are just curious about it and turn them against the cause, or you could have spies in the area where they're able to to get the information they need, especially if, if C-3PO were to be hacked or whatever it is. Again, I see that as more of a security protocol just because they don't want... They're already at a disadvantage. They, they're just doing what they can. So I bought into
1: that. I could understand, yeah, if 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 he learns some language that is supposed to be helpful to the resistance who designed him in the first place that if he sees something that, okay, that's valuable and, okay, I'm going to lock it in so no one can get it. But I what I can't understand is that, okay, if they were designed, if he was designed by the Alliance, then the Alliance should have a way to extract that information without pretty much breaking him down. And they didn't, which was odd because they had to go to another world to and some back alley hacker, designer, you know, digressor <laughs> and, um, and get this out, which that to me just didn't make it. I could, I could buy either one way or the other way, but both ideas at the same time I thought th- th- this is kind of grasping at straws here. So I don't know, either they had to go back to the Alliance and, and cause they were world hopping anyway and get his memory wiped or that something happened. And, um, C three PO's physical memory, and they didn't have any other choice but to do what they had to do. The way they showed it was okay. C three PO, you learn this, and it's Sith language, and all of a sudden, we don't know that he has to lock it in his memory and until he just told us. I mean, he could have said that in the beginning of okay, hey guys. If you have me look at this, I'm going to shut down. FYI. So I'll look at it, but then you're going to have to find out a way to get it out of me because that's it. The way they showed it was, okay, we're basically doing this to introduce more characters and more worlds. So that was the ultimate reaction that I got with how they explained it. Not that it was like just, uh, that's how he was designed and therefore he's cool. I,
0: yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think... I think if they had left it with, oh, it's just not one of the languages that I cover, then that would be a harder pill to swallow. I'd be like, uh, I don't buy that. But I do like how there was an out where he was saying, look, you can get this. If you bypass my programming, Then you then you will be able to find out what it is. But the cost of that is I will lose all my memory and do a a memory wipe, which by the way, was not the first time that happened. If you recall, C-3PO has has had um, its memory wiped uh, back in the prequels, I believe. And so I think that it served a purpose in terms of getting a sympathy reaction from the audience because everybody loves C-3PO and the thought of him forgetting who all his companions are it's kind of like oh no don't do that but if you think about it, it he he is it, he's a droid he's not a living breathing thing and so it does i think also like like for instance again another great idea is is the idea of hacking into C3PO because when you think about 3PO he really hasn't had a purpose.
1: Right. Other that than takes being r buddy, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's kind of the plucky comedic relief for several films, but we really haven't seen him in his space where all of a sudden he becomes valuable. And I think that that was really cool how now in this film, there is a sense of value placed back into 3PO because he's the only one who can decipher what is going on with this.
1: Excuse me, he can speak Ewok? Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, he was value there. I'm not saying he was never valuable. I'm saying it's been several films since that has occurred where he hasn't done anything that is cyborg related. Mm -hmm. So I, I did find it really cool. But one of the things I thought was super cool too was how when they were going through it, how we got kind of a glimpse of him becoming more of a galactic empire droid. And I liked that. I, I and mean, I thought it was a neat visual to see like his eyes go red, for example, and that sort of thing. A little I would say a little heavy-handed with it, but I, I accepted it. I thought it was cool. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, when they're on that planet, actually one another one of my favorite parts in the entire movie was the introduction of Zori Bliss. You remember who that is,
1: Steve? Wasn't that uh, pose hypothetical? Female interest. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool design.
0: I thought she was aesthetically, like she fit really well in the Star Wars universe. I loved her swagger. I loved how she was kind of a female scoundrel. I thought that brought a lot more depth to... Poe's backstory instead of Poe just oh he's a great starfighter well yeah what else what else I mean surely he's got more to him than that. I was really glad that they introduced this particular character and she had mystique about her and I loved how we didn't just see her face you know I liked how they they teased us with you know she opened up like the the eye portion of the visor and, and had gorgeous eyes. Again, bringing in that mystique of like, oh, who's this? I like this. And I I actually liked the chemistry between Poe and Zori. I thought that was really cool. I'm glad that they didn't just hook up at the end. I'm glad there is that kind of cat and mouse kind of thing that's going on there. And I, for one, I, I wished that she had actually gone with them on their adventures. Like, at that point in time when they were kind of discussing what was going on, that sort of thing. I really wish that she would have come with them as she became part of that crew, because I think that would have actually enriched more of the chemistry and having more of a memorable crew put together. What are your thoughts, dude?
1: Yeah, I could I could I could use that. I um I if he would have said, Hey, I did you wrong before, I did you dirty. <laughs> uh <laughs> And I want to make it right. There's nothing happening here for you. I mean, there's the Empire who's interrogating everybody in the streets and you're not part of them. This is no place for you to live. Hey, come with me because I'm trying to do good. And uh, if she goes, you know what? Fine, but if you double-cross me, Noah. I'll kill you. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I thought that would None w- of that funny business. Uh, yeah. Uh, I thought that could have been cool. Um, to, ha- to introduce us to her this late in the game and then just show us you know, her flying in at the end to helping out the resistance. I thought, okay, uh, what was this for again?
0: Yeah, I thought it was like a missed opportunity because yeah. I instantly was like, oh, who's this?
1: Yeah, especially too if, if she could, uh, if she knew how to fight. Cause all, I mean, everyone was just using either a lightsaber or a blaster. Um, every once in a while, you'll have somebody with some different kind of weapon, but it'd be cool if she had her own, like, um, uh, like hand-to-hand combat kind of weapons, you know, maybe some sort of uh, electrified weapon or stun weapon or something. Cause she was in a suit that kind of reminded me of one of the suits from Anthem where it's the melee combat one. That's oh. your suit.
0: That's my suit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I thought that would introduce a cool different element as well. And yeah, I should have gone with them. I mean, it just didn't make any sense for us to go on the third movie halfway done. Okay. Here's a new character. Here's Mystique. Here's some backstory with Poe and now the movie's over. i thought why yeah anyway
0: i do think that that is one of the missing links when again going back to the whole idea of you have different character archetypes and then when you put them together they should formulate the perfect formula i think that 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 was one of the missing things is like having her in mixed in with the crew and stuff um Man, I, I was she's probably one of my favorite characters from this particular trilogy. And it was and it was crazy because, like you said, she was barely in the film. We she was probably in the film for maybe a grand total of five minutes, and, ten minutes. And yet she's stronger
1: character than Ray.
0: Yes. Well, I wouldn't say Rey. I would. I wouldn't say stronger than Ray. Um, and we'll get we'll get into the cast a bit later. I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but um for me like i was just like wow this she she fits in the world of star wars there's a lot to her that that i want to know more about and i just i want there i i want there to be more characters not not like her in the literal sense but just more of that that's going on so anyway our heroes are able to figure out where that is, and that leads them to their, their next planet, which I can't remember what it is, but it's I think it's 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 where a section of the I think it was indoor actually, wasn't it? It was indoor or one of the, the planets by indoor, but it was where like the Death Star had fallen into the, the ocean. That was a really cool planet, by the way. I really liked how the waves looked and that sort of thing. And um we see how Ray is. On a quest to be able to find one of those little—that's not a cube, but it's like a, a rhombus-looking thing—but that gives the the details of how to get to the Sith planet. I think that okay. I have several thoughts on this. First of all, I really liked how she was able to make her way into the old chamber of the Emperor from Return of the Jedi. I think it is a really neat idea. Doesn't matter what story you're telling. But if you revisit some of these places that have a lot of backstory, a lot of history, and especially if it's a character that was not present, or maybe 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 it is. Maybe you have characters that had been there before and they're revisiting and they're kind of remembering what took place. I think for one that is Super cool. And I really liked how the music was during that moment and how she's looking around. And she's not exactly sure what she's looking at, but we as viewers remember, we're like, oh my gosh, that's where the Emperor sat. That's where Luke Skywalker fought Darth Vader. You know, there's all these things that are going on that are just filled in by our heads as she's looking for this item. And I think it was interesting too how when it came to her seeing kind of like the Sith version of herself in that room, I felt like that happened too fast. Like I wanted there to be a bit
1: more. What did you think? Well, it was all too fast. So yeah, <laughs> I farming mean, for me. It was, it would happen way, way, way too fast. Uh, I, I did like, yeah, I, I, she kind of wound up there. Um, I thought it was a bit of, I think they had to go there because they were introducing Palpatine. I think the other reason they had to go there was because the fan fiction, Aspect where people who liked the original trilogy would go, Oh, that's cool, she's there. Um, but otherwise, I think if they didn't go the Palpatine route, I don't think she would have wound up there.
0: What is your what is your reaction to her being the granddaughter of Palpatine?
1: Yeah, I again it's a little bit it's too little too late. We've we have had two movies where We have no idea who she is or her parents aren't worth anything and her backstory is all muddled. And then at the very end of the last movie, then it's like, oh yeah, and you're Palpatine's granddaughter. Cool, right? I mean, that's why you're so powerful. Hey, everybody gets it now, right? That's why she's she's OP. So... OP. (laughs) (laughs) So anyhow, I I don't know. I I think... Yeah, I guess it makes sense. It just seems like they had to draw something up and that was probably the best way they could end it. I think that there is some merit to what
0: you're saying. I, for one, actually really like that. Just because Star Wars, at least when it comes to the the Skywalker saga, and that sort of thing, there is this this semblance of family. There's always this family um, foundation that's in there. And I like how they flipped the tables a bit because we've always seen Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, right? Darth Vader is Luke's daddy. And there's, you know, Leia is his sister, that sort of thing. But how about like, you know, when it comes to more of the dark side of the force? And I think that actually was a really cool idea. I like the idea that she was Palpatine's granddaughter and that her parents hid her from him, knowing that how awful of a person he is. I bought it. I was like, that is okay. That's, that's pretty, I like that. I dig that. I think that that, that's really, really cool. I don't think that it is necessarily a pass for the fact that she has no flaw whatsoever. Like, like I, and we'll get to that when we get to the cast a bit later. But when it comes to her backstory and all that and her finding out that that's who she is, I to, for me, I get I give it two thumbs up. I think I think that that is a really really cool plot point. As we progress, we see how she keeps having these run-ins with Kylo Ren. What did you think of how they were able to use the Force to almost be in the same environment or presence as the other, and how like depending on who was kind of um exhibiting more influence over the other than the environment would kind of change to the environment that they were in. And they were even in some cases to even like grab something that was in that place of the galaxy and have it be physical and keep
1: it, that sort of thing. What'd you think of, of that? that yeah, concept? I, thought, I thought that was kind of a cool concept. We saw that in the last movie too, where um yeah, it was introduced in the last Yeah. One. Where, where I think Ray was on that secluded Island with, Luke and waves were hitting and he was talking to her and he got wet, even though he was on his luxury ship. And so, yeah, it, it made <laughs> sense for them to- His <clears throat> carnival cruise. Yeah. His prince- No, wait, wait, I was going to say princess cruise line. No. You can go ahead and take that out, Russ. Anyway. <laughs> 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 so, uh, it made it made sense that that um, they would show up more in here. I, I think it's, it's too- I don't know. Part of me is flipped on it because on the one hand, we haven't seen this in six movies of two very strong Jedi or Force users. You mean nine movies? Six movies. One, two, three, four, five, and six. Oh. Um, So you're not talking about seven and eight? No. Okay. Nothing. (laughs) One. wanted to clear the air there. (laughs) So we haven't seen any of these strong Force users be in the same realm or vicinity while using the Force or communicating uh, with their thoughts. And then we have these two random people, basically, who were introduced to us. And yeah, now later in the trilogy, but they're all of a sudden able to use this aspect of the Force that was never even able to be used before and nothing was brought up. So, I mean, yes, it's a cool concept, but... Throughout the entire Star Wars movie history that we've seen on the big screen, that's never been anything that's brought up as being something being capable. But well, it, I, I, let me. But, uh, well, I'm just going to finish by saying, okay, okay, that two people who have not even mastered the Force yet, not even in Jedi, not even full Sith, are able to do something that we haven't seen Sith use or full Jedi use.
0: I think that the reason why that is is because they're introducing the the concept of how you can have <clears throat> um, two beings have some sort of, of deeper connection, not only to the Force, but to each other.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: That is not necessarily like sibling related or anything like that, but that there are kind of, I almost think of it as like, there are ideas of how you can have parallel universes, right? Like, like let's, let's say for instance, there are multiple versions of you. Well, there's multiple versions of Steve that live in these parallel universes and they all perhaps have some sort of thread that allows for all of them to just coexist simultaneously and that sort of thing. I think that if you think about it like that, where you can have in the comic books, they have a field day with this type of approach. But I think, it is a really neat idea when it comes to the force because obviously we want to know more about what the force is capable of. It isn't just limited to lifting stones or breaking parts off of the walls, though those things are cool and they do exist within this world known as the force. Right. The force is more than just telepathy. Yeah, like, like there needs to be more that, that that is examined and explored. And I, for one, love the notion that on rare occasion, you will have people who don't even know each other necessarily, but once they tap into that, they can have, that. that is one of the byproducts of the forces that you can use. And to the Emperor's point, even the Emperor said, I haven't seen this in generations. You know, so we know that this is not commonplace. We know this is something that is very rare. And I think that lends to the credibility of of them introducing this, this concept as it applies to the force. So I, for one, again, one of the high points for me in the film, and like you were saying, we saw a little bit of this in in The Last Jedi, but I love the idea of how these people have this connection. And every time it happens, it's not like a video conference call. Oh, hey, how's it going? You're doing good. (laughs) Like there is the sense of dread and there is a sense of threat as well, because you're like, what is going on how do you, like the entire time I'm thinking, man, I, they should really break off this connection. But at the same time, I'm really intrigued to, to see what gets talked about or whatever. Um, and I like too how, like for instance, Kylo Ren was able to figure out that, that Ray at one point was back on the Star Destroyer because they were having some little fisticuffs with uh, the lightsaber here and there. Um, but again, it's great for storytelling because then all of a sudden he knows where she is, so that kind of thing is cool. What next? I mean, there are. I mean, essentially, what, like like it all comes to this 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 big battle at the end. One of the problems that I had is the fact that the resistance itself was not really communicating with the rest of the world. Uh, here, here's my beef in the force awakens. We see how the star killer actually takes out an entire planet. Like the death star did. And I think it actually didn't take out one planet. I, didn't it take out like three planets or something. Like if I remember like it shot out and it had kind of a, an arcing effect or something, I want to say it actually took out multiple planets. So, by the end of The Force Awakens, the entire galaxy was put on notice as to that, that the Empire still exists. The First Order is making their stake and they need to rally together in order to survive. That was in the, at the end of the first film. So I did not buy... The idea that you have this little ragtag resistance group and they have no means to communicate or get the word out and people aren't going to fight. Like, no, like, I I think that is a flawed creative idea because even from the original trilogy, you had the entire galaxy of rebel fighters and stuff who who were trying to take them out during Return of the Jedi. There was a much more...
1: Collective.
0: Yeah, collective, substantial fleet of different military, you know, alien creatures and species that had band together to take out the second Death Star because they saw how the, how deadly the first Death Star was. If you think about it in, in A New Hope, there was a much smaller um, air force, basically, space force, that were able to take out the first Death Star. But by Return of the Jedi, I mean, you saw um, a much larger group. Yeah we can then extrapolate that out to when The Force Awakens happens and after the Star Killer is revealed and stuff that everybody's not going to rest on their laurels. They're thinking, oh my goodness, we've got to stop this right away. Yeah, we need to nip it in the bud. So my thing was, when it came to the final battle, I I just wanted the entire group to show up together as one collective force, and I wanted to have some sort of really awesome space battle taking place. That's what I wanted to see, especially with all those Star Destroyers going up and stuff. I want to, okay, fine, let's do it. I felt like it was a bit contrived when they had the small little paltry. It's like, guys, we've already done this. We've already seen this. You don't need to do this again. There needs to be a different concept that goes on. When it comes to Ray being on... um the Sith planet. I really like how now you have a Jedi who's visiting this this the Sith planet and coming face to face with Palpatine that sort of thing. But again, it's surface level because, like, for instance, we she's in this this um, this arena that um, is taken actually from a concept design by Ralph McQuarrie, who was one of the original concept concept designers from the original trilogy. But you see how like there are, it's almost like a gladiator type of ring kind of thing where there's all these different I'm assuming Sith that are in there, but we don't know who they are. And then furthermore, we, we saw throughout the film, how there are these different types of like Sith Lords that were kind of hunting the, the, the resistance as well as like Ray and Finn and Poe and that sort of thing. But we never see them fight. Like they, like they'll run around and, and you'll see like all of a sudden around a corner, like this, you'll see like four or five of them. And they're, they'll, they'll kind of peer around. They're like, Oh, and and that's all they do. And it's like, no, like the, there are all kinds of opportunities to be able to showcase what the sect known as the Sith are capable of. Even, you don't have to be a grandmaster
1: to be interesting. Right.
0: <coughs> so.
1: No, I agree. I, I'm glad they... On one hand, I appreciate the fact that, it, that the last... Spaceship, you know, star fight, whatever you want to call it, didn't happen in outer space yet again. It kind of happened on a planet, so we saw some different colors other than like black space. You know, uh, at the same time, I thought, okay, uh, along the lines of what you were saying, where uh, Poe's going, okay, you know, we can lead people, will be led, you know, if, if it's for a good cause, sort of thing, and then they communicate none whatsoever to anybody whatsoever, but everybody all together knows where to show up and when to show up with their old rusty ships <laughs> that we've seen from every single movie. Nothing new. No new Starfighter. No new secret weapon. No new nothing. It was just like, okay, at the last minute every every ship we've ever seen from a Star Wars movie now finally shows up and uh, mirac- oh, thank you, Lando, because Lando's got like um, <laughs> what do you call it? He's Conference got- call abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Lando's got
0: the, the, the
1: swagger influence.
0: Come on, everybody. Let's
1: do part three. He's got, he's got the Facebook page with like a million friends. Like, man, I was like, I have so many friends. Hey, Lando invited us to this. I'm so there. (laughs) I'm so there. Uh, so anyhow. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to see some epic star fight, star fight, battle, (laughs) start. Battle. Hmm. And I and I kind of really didn't get it. I got a nice visual wallpaper looking, uh, you know, scene, but there was nothing that happened that was actually really cool, unfortunately. So we have this epic, you know, draw up towards the end of the last movie and then it just kind of, okay, it wasn't so epic at the end.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the main problem I have with the ending itself is on the one hand, I did like the character arc that Kylo Ren had. I liked it when, when his mother passed away and that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for him and, and ultimately brought him back to the light side. And I think that it was cool to like have him and Ray being able to face the emperor together, that sort of thing. At the same time though, I feel as though this is, this is one of the problems I had with last Jedi we see when 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 Kylo Ren and Ray are fighting side by side with their lightsabers, and they're taking out like the like the personal guard as well as Supreme Leader Snoke, that sort of thing. The and I, I like that visual. The problem is it happened too fast. That was instant gratification. That was one of the things I talk about. You, could, in fact, for those of you who are interested in, in listening to us review, you should look up our Joygasm podcast episode of. Uh, the last Jedi movie review, because this is one of the things I talk about is that in the film, they were so obsessed with instant gratification that they didn't let things simmer. They didn't they didn't have like a nice like burning sensation of where they dole the stuff out. And so it's marinating
1: uh, like salmon. Exactly.
0: So I think as a result, what happens is, is that you have a disservice occur where once again, for the second time, we're seeing Kylo Ren and Ray buddy up together with their lightsabers, but it loses the impact because we've already seen it occur once before. I think that's one of the the, the biggest problems. And and if you recall, I talk about in our review for The Last Jedi, I said, that should have been punted to the end of the third movie. Well, here we are, the third movie, and this happens. And it's just unfortunate to me that the creative decision was made for it to happen in The Last Jedi because it is a big visual payoff to see them side by side like that. But at the same time, I think also it's... The the fight against the Emperor also was unsatisfying in my opinion. Because again, it's the Emperor and I want to see what else can the Emperor do? What is the Emperor capable of other than lightning shooting from his hands?
1: Fireballs from his arse.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a little brave heart there for you. Yeah, that's it. So that I mean, when it comes to that, on the one hand, I was I was very happy to see Kylo Ren's character arc occur because I I could just tell that that he was a character that was going to come back, and if he didn't come back, I think that it would have been kind of a letdown. Um, now one of the things I thought was really cool was the fact that. He survived and she ended up expensing herself in order to take out the emperor. And I feel like I have to go in like bit by bit with this just because I did not like how he was taken out. I like, and I have to back up a little bit further. I like the idea how we did discover how the emperor had the ability to almost like force drain the life essence from this, this couple and it sounded like he was only able to do that because of the connection they had with each other. I think he was able to tap into that somehow, some way. But I liked. Okay, now we know that he has this other ability and makes him even more deadly. And so he was he severely weakened both of them by doing so. And then she. But then, if we move on to the next part. She did basically what Mace Windu did, which was hold up the lightsaber so that the lightning started to fry him instead of her. And again, we've already seen that in episode three. So I wanted there to be a different way uh, that that the death sequence took place rather than the... I felt like, I mean, it, it was satisfying to see his body get fried and explode and everything. It's like, okay, that, that reminded me almost like a like an Indiana Jones ending. It's like, Ooh, that was a little juicy <laughs> and grisom, um or grisly. But um, I felt like, like it was too much of an easy out for that. I wanted there to be something else entirely, especially because she's the granddaughter of Palpatine. And as we've learned, you know, when you're in the family, like Luke and Leah, for instance, are very powerful Jedi because their father was Anakin Skywalker, who was the chosen one. Same type of thing when it comes to this. So I wanted there, I wanted her perhaps to even flirt with tapping into some of that dark side because of who he was and just, I don't know, that there couldn't have been a much more captivating visual spectacle than what we were shown. Also going back to the Gladiator kind of arena, I want to know who those, those people are, but they were just this kind of, background wallflower kind of thing where like, Oh look, they're in black masks and hoods and that's all. It's like, guys, like this is the final movie. Come on. Yeah. Well, and and even if we take that further to once again, the different kind of search parties that the Sith had where they were trying to hunt down these different people, I wanted to see them get into combat. I wanted to see what kind of force powers they had because again, I have a feeling that the force is a lot broader depending on what kind of mastery you are. And especially when you go into the lore of star Wars, even some of the video games they talk about and they explore how there are multiple, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but like, like there are, are disciplines that you can go into where maybe you're more of a Sith Inquisitor versus like you're a master of the lightsaber or, you know, you just have these different paths that you can choose. And as a result, if you have these types of of um, encounters where you're having like, Maybe you have two Sith facing off against each other because they don't like each other. Or maybe it's a battle for power. Or maybe you have a Sith and a Jedi and they have different strengths and weaknesses. It just makes, it's, it's ripe for exploration. I think I would have preferred to have seen that. So when it, when it comes to the ending itself, I felt a bit let down. I, I did not have the euphoric reaction and feeling that I've had like, from Return of the Jedi or um, A New Hope, so that's my two cents on the on how on the way it, it came to a conclusion. What about you, Steve?
1: No, I'm I'm just right there with you. I I have to go back to thinking that I didn't have a very high expectation walking into the theater, and towards the ending, I thought, well, yeah, again, I mean, I, I just didn't really expect them to do much with it. Um, you know, with, with all the creative differences and rewrites and and director <laughs> kind of thrown here, thrown there. It was just obvious they didn't have a, a map that, you know, collectively, everybody thought, okay, this is the direction we're gonna go. These is, this is where we want to take all the characters. This is what we want to say, this is what we want to do. And when you have this favored franchise from the 70s that has had a fan base, growing generation after generation after generation, you have to get it right. And they started off on the wrong foot. And (laughs) for this last trilogy, and they ended on the wrong foot. I mean, when you have that much differences and that much unknown of what are we going to do and what do the fans want? And what are we actually going to try and finish this with? And no one really knows. This is what you get. You get, okay, well, what this would have been cool if we would explore this area And that would have been cool, maybe if we had this. But maybe if we do it this instead, that you know, it's just all this wonder that shouldn't be there with the last part of the of the last movie. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, we had what we we're left with is okay. We yeah, we've seen all this before, and yeah, it was cool then. Yeah, it's okay now. But I mean, it's like. If you if if someone tells you to eat like this dessert that you've already had before and they tell you it's the best thing and you know it's going to be good, you're not surprised when you have that dessert and you know it's good. Like, okay, it was better the first time I had it because I didn't know what to expect. I had no clue. Now I have a clue. I know exactly what to expect. And now you're telling me, but only a different cook made it this time. So maybe it, it, it's still kind of good, but not nearly as what it was before. And so at the, at the last part of the movie, that, that's just pretty much what you get. One of the things I wish
0: that this film had included was Rey's journey to building her own lightsaber. I liked the idea that she was using Luke's lightsaber. I liked how she found Leia's lightsaber but really one of the the cornerstones of a Jedi, as well as a Sith, really. But the idea is is that you are able to construct your own lightsaber. And this is nothing new. We've seen this in novels. We've seen this in video games. We have seen this um, countless times in in different types of of, um, reviews and conversations and what-ifs, that sort of thing. But it's a rite of passage for a Jedi to be able to create her own lightsaber. And I think his or her, I say her because I'm talking about Ray, but at the end, I was glad that she, that it showed that she had made her own lightsaber, but I felt like that was, again, that was a missed opportunity for us as an audience to go through that experience with her when she decides, Hey, I'm going to construct it. What kind of materials am I going to choose? What color is my lightsaber going to be? What is the motivation behind that color. Why do I want to be this and not that there's there. And uh, I think that was actually one of the cool things about Kylo Ren's lightsaber is that it was his signature. I mean, right. like, like it was exclusive to him. His lightsaber was totally different than Darth Vader's, which was totally different from Darth Maul's. And I like that. I like how they're, they put their own personal touch. On their lightsaber, and so that I I do say that the the I do like the yellow lightsaber. That actually, anytime I've played a game as a as a Jedi, I've always chosen yellow. I've always liked the yellow lightsaber color, and I do think it was cool that she had her own color in this one as well. I I, I dig that. I just wish that we had been taken on that journey as as a result. So let's get into the cast here. I think we we've we've really explored a lot of what the plot had to offer in this film. When it comes to Ray, so first of all, I really like Daisy Ridley as an actress. I think that, that she brings a lot to the film. I think the, 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 the nagging issue, which is prevalent in this film as well, is she has no weakness. She has no flaw. She goes out and she accomplishes anything that she decides she's just going to do. This has been a problem since The Force Awakens. And so I think it's unfortunate that it continued into this one as well, where... She was basically invincible. There's there's nothing she cannot do, and that makes her a one-dimensional character in my eyes. Yeah, that's been an ongoing debate. Okay. Now, when it comes to Finn, I felt that Finn had meddled out a bit where I found him to be more interesting as a character. I do think, though, it was a bit campy and... A stretch for him to like, like they were almost kind of suggesting that he was starting to have force powers because he could feel when Ray was in pain or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying that. You're, you're a storm. You're an ex stormtrooper who's now part of the resistance, and you're kind of just in the mix of things, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. You know, like I just, I think that they were trying to to give him more than what he had just for the sake of making him more interesting. But I'm like,
1: I, I I'm not. I'm not buying it. Yeah. With Finn, he's kind of a placeholder character in a way because you, you don't really know where he's going to go. He, you know, with with Han, Han had leadership abilities. He knew how to use a gun. He was a pilot.
0: Well, he was a scoundrel in the sense that, like, you know, he's a smuggler. Like, you, you, ne- you never knew, like, where his
1: motives lied. But you saw that he had a good heart. Right. Exactly. So, but he... but you, He's you, unpredictable. Though. He's unpredictable, but you knew his purpose, and he had use. Um, and... Chewbacca has use and he doesn't even speak in the language we can understand. We have to, and we have to interpret from what everyone else interprets. So we're getting his language secondhand. Yeah. So we have Finn. Okay. He he's got like basic military experience and he wants to do good in the world. Okay, great. There's a lot of people like you. What else can you bring to the table? And he doesn't really bring anything to the table at all. Yeah. He matured good for him. Um, but his character wasn't really written to do anything special at all. Right. And throughout the entire series, I still don't know why he was in there. What did he do good? I mean, he yeah, he took out one of the uh, commander stormtroopers. Okay, great. She probably would have got taken out another way, but... Actually, you touch on something that makes a lot of sense. So
0: Finn, because of his military background, I think what they should have done is they should have pushed that part of him. Because... One of the things I thought was really cool was when he he was yeah he he stood up to kind of like that stormtrooper sergeant or captain or whatever it was. That's what they should have done with this character is is really push that military portion so that when they're in fights he's more than capable when he taps into that part of himself. We saw him hesitate because they were taking out defenseless villagers in the Force Awakens. However, when he's in the middle of a battle. I want to see that strength. I want to see that ferocious combat ability. I want to see where, like, you know, like he runs in and he like tackles like two stormtroopers to the ground and, and just takes out his gun and starts blasting him and stuff. i I want to see kind of more of that physicality with him. I think that would have really brought to the forefront um much more intrigue about his character. I also really like too, how, he's kind of a ladies' man, but not in a a Han Solo sense. But if you think about it, like in The Last Jedi, like, and again, this is a a (laughs) one of the out from left field random romances (laughs) where all of a sudden Rose just confesses her love for him. I'm like, where did that come from? But anyway, not to (laughs) focus too much on that, but like you know, like there, there was an other female character that used to also be part of the First Order and she defected and all that kind of stuff. And, and there was kind of, I noticed like an interest from her where she wanted to be by his side and stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah, I like that. I like the idea of how he's a character that, you know, he's not someone who's like a rolling stone or something like that where like, you know, yeah, I'm just trying to hook up whenever I can. He's, he's very much the opposite of that. Right. But, but a fun byproduct is, is that now, more often than not, there are females. I mean, even Ray, um, you know, when when uh, when Finn was injured and was in the kind of the medical vat that was like healing his back, whatever, you know, she kissed the tube and stuff. And it was like, yeah, like I like how, she, how he brings out um, the kind of more of like that female romantic interest kind of thing, even though it's different than that of Han Solo. I think that combined with him being very um, adept militarily, I think that would have been really, really cool. By the way,
1: what did he want to say to Ray? I don't know. It's great. They kind of left that unanswered. Anyway, moving on. Moving on.
0: So when it comes to Poe, Poe, again, he... Uh, I'm I'm not emotionally invested in his character. I think he, you know, he's on screen. And it's like, okay, I know he's one of the good guys, that sort of thing. Really, the, the one time when all of a sudden I really started to appreciate his character was when Zori came into the mix. And Zori is, hands down, one of my favorite characters from this entire trilogy, and she's barely in the film. But I loved Zori the backstory and the history, that sort of thing. And I found myself thinking, okay, now Poe is much more of an interesting person. I found Poe to be much more interesting when he was not in an X-Wing fighter.
1: True. True. Yeah, I would say that. And in the last movie, he was he was very interesting. I mean, he was the one who was telling the uh, the lady commander, "Hey, what are you doing? We need to you know rally against over here. We need to do this. You know, you need to tell us what your plan is here because the Empire's got." I mean, he was actually a guy who was taking charge, and we saw him step out of his pilot role to be something more. And then with this movie, it almost seemed like they regressed on that, and then they put him back in the pilot seat and made him more like. Um, uh, you know, everybody, we're going to be together. We're going to be together. We're going to be together. You know, he was almost like the the hug starter guy who
0: <laughs> was a good pilot. I actually, you remind me of something that I forgot to talk about. And that is when it came to the, the transition of power within the resistance, where all of a sudden when Leia passed away, she gave the responsibility to Poe and uh, Finn. I think that was a mistake. What would have been a much more believable and cool plot twist is if she were to have Lando who is still alive, yeah. become the general because he already has experience, experience as exactly. a general right. from the original trilogy and he already has his connections which would plug right into him rallying all of the worlds to bring the big military might to the Sith planet. You see where I'm going? You see why uh, I am in the space that I'm in? I don't understand why Lucasfilm didn't hire me. Gosh. I could come in there and really make some changes for the better. Here. It wasn't Lucasfilm. It was
1: it was. Kathleen Kennedy, who didn't hire you. That's, that's very true. It's very true. Kathleen,
0: if you're listening, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to uh, to do what I can for the sake of Star Wars. Anyway, so let's see. We got an unpo. We've talked about Zori Bliss. You like Zori Bliss, I'm assuming. Uh. Let's see. So Mark Hamill made in a made a, a re appearance, um, which I I you know what I I predicted he would. I figured he would come back as a Force Ghost and, and be able to talk and that sort of thing. And it was nice to see him in there. Though I wish he wasn't still in his like kind of
1: unkempt beard and long hair. Um, yeah, I think if they were gonna gonna computerize him, they could have computerized his younger self. Exactly. That would have been cool. And.
0: Actually, I'm glad that we talked about this too because there, there are actually a lot of things about this that I want to cover and I'm glad that you're causing my mind all of a sudden go, oh yeah. One, another one of my favorite scenes in the film is that flashback when Luke and Leia are training, when Luke's training Leia to be a Jedi and they have the, their blast shield masks on and they're going through the forest and doing the thing. Love that. Absolutely love that. I loved when the shield um, mask goes up and it's the young Luke And it's the young Leia. Love that. The same thing. And if you recall, when we reviewed The Last Jedi, I said the same thing. But when they had the flashbacks of when Kylo Ren was a Padawan at Luke's Jedi Academy, Luke looks younger. He's a younger version of himself. And I really do believe, like, if I was the director, I would tap into that so much more. There would be many more flashbacks a lot more backstory because the folks love how they looked in their youth. And they're also very interested in knowing like what was happening between then and now. And I think that, that they did not capitalize on that as much as they could have, but at least they put that in. At least we did see that because it's like, okay, that's really cool because it lends credibility to the fact that Luke was training his sister and tapping into her force powers. That then she could then, you know, move, you know, pay it forward to Ray. As a result, I liked how there was a connect the dots kind of thing. But oh, it was so cool to see like their younger faces. Anyway, back at the cast
1: at hand, how did you feel about the way that they exited Carrie Fisher? Um, it, you know, it was fine. They they they're up against a rock and a hard place because she had passed before the movie had been released. So they didn't get all the footage that they needed of her. And so to my knowledge, they were using kind of recycled, some recycled footage and some footage that they, they didn't show in the in the other films of her. And so they had to do something and they I think they tried to do the best they could with what they had. Um, I think it, 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 it did happen... A bit too quick. I think they maybe could have computerized her to do more or say more or last longer. Maybe. I mean, uh, as we, as it was shown, uh, what's the, uh, the little alien lady's name. I forgot what her little name is, but, um, she says, Oh, she has to go communicate with her son. And that's basically what she's going to do. And it didn't seem at that point that the entire, Rebel Alliance thought, oh, this is going to be the last of, we're going to see of Leia because she's going to do this to try and communicate to Kylo Ren and this is going to kill her. And I would figure people would um, rally around her and maybe have some sort of like send off of thank you. You know, you've been the princess, you've been the our leader. You And she just kind of goes in some tent and lays down and then force touches kylo Rimmer just taps him on the shoulder a little bit and then doesn't really say anything and she dies and he gets stabbed i thought that's it like that's what you had to do and then when everyone flew back it was like oh yeah she's gone now and life moves on so here we go i did like the idea too how they introduced that you could heal with the force i didn't they do did that when the, they did that with the last the last um movie too when I remember they they I forgot but I I remember they did that they explored it a little bit and I remember her doing the healing thing this time and I thought yeah I remember that from last time
0: I don't recall seeing that in the last I know
1: that they did like the
0: force projection thing like Luke yeah, was able right. to project himself onto another planet but I don't recall the healing I think that's a new concept in this one I don't think so I, I well we'll have to look at we'll it. look at it. Uh, so,
1: oh man,
0: when it comes to, um, Rose, they put, I <laughs> they put her on the
1: back burner, like, yeah, we messed up last time. We're not going <laughs> to give her much screen time this time. Sorry about that. It, this is nothing against the actress. Right. Of, no, not at all. It's,
0: it was a badly constructed character i think the character itself like the when, when she started out and her sister died at the beginning of the last jedi then that acts as a as a, a good motivating factor for why she's involved in the resistance that sort of thing however i just she just didn't have a purpose like she was just there and it was like yeah okay you're there and why exactly yeah you know, I, I just i i didn't think that that she needed to to be there um, now I did think it was interesting. I like seeing general Hux get, uh, offed in this particular film, the way he did, because there was always this power struggle between him and Kylo Ren. And I liked, I don't know. I, I just thought it fit. It was like, okay, yeah, that works. That was cool. And I honestly liked the old school general more than, than, uh, excuse me, than, than Hux. Right. Uh, I thought that Hux was like, kind of like this little kid in the big boy boots and, it never really fit and everything else. And so the way it, w- it happened is like, okay, yeah, I checked mark that box. That's good. When it comes to the visual effects, I mean, obviously it's a Star Wars film. Can't go wrong there. I mean, like everything I saw was was very impressive. The cinematography,
1: like what you were saying, was great. I mean, it, it's a visual spectacle, really? Yeah, but it seemed uh, okay. So that was one of the better parts of the movie, but it seemed like they didn't do much with it. like they they showed what they what what is possible, but they didn't do really anything. It was almost like spectacle for the for the case of spectacle. For the sake of spectacle? Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I, I in the other movies, you had a big starfight battle and it was awesome. It was still epic and it still looked beautiful, but they did something with it. This time it was like a ton of Star Destroyers and a ton of ships and a pretty background and that was it. Like, okay, thank you, but what else?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I again, it could have been a poster on my wall that people would have been like, man, that's gorgeous, that's awesome. I wish I could see a full movie with that. And then, and then I could say, yeah, actually it came from a movie, but this was actually the five second shot that was the coolest and then nothing happened after that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think
0: that when it came to the final battle, I think it, it was half-baked. I don't think that, it was entirely thought through as to what they were talking about and the notion that that all these new star destroyers had more of a portable version of what the death star could do it was kind of like uh, again i'm not buying that like that that's too convenient to like all of a sudden be able to do that for all the star destroyers because then even from a power vacuum perspective anybody who's an admiral they would turn on each other all the time in a bid for power because they would all have this cannon. Like that was the cool thing about the Death Star was like that was their headquarters. That was the main bad weapon of choice. And it kept all of the fleet in check. Everybody reported to the big man. Well, I say let's go into some movie trivia courtesy of IMDb. Unless there's anything that, that we're forgetting. No, we're forgetting our final thoughts, but we could do that after movie trivia. Sounds good. During the massive crowd celebration scene, C-3PO says that this event happens once every 42 years. This was the time between the first Star Wars movie to be released in 1977 and this film, the last of the sequel trilogy, released 42 years later. Oh my goodness. When George Lucas originally laid out plans for 12 episodes, then reduced that number to nine episodes. He said that C-3PO and R2-D2 would be the only characters to appear in all nine. This proves to be true as Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, the only other characters to appear in every movie of the original and prequel trilogies, did not appear in the sequel trilogy. Anthony Daniels, who plays C-3PO, is thus the only actor to appear in all nine episodes. We applaud you, Anthony. No one can do C-3PO like you do. I could. (laughs) What'd you say? I said I could. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. The design of Kylo Ren, who, by the way, is played by Adam Driver. uh, The design of his repaired mask is possibly... By the Smoking Monkey. Based on Kintsugi, which is a centuries-old Japan art, or excuse me, Japanese art, to repair broken pottery by joining them together with a golden liqueur, giving the fractures a unique golden pattern in Japanese culture. Um, oh, excuse me. It gives it a unique golden pattern. Now in Japanese culture, the Kitsugi technique also stands for highlighting imperfections and giving new life to a broken object, which may be symbolic for the character by repairing his mask. He attempts to revive his Kylo Ren persona despite the failures he had endured in his past. I like that one. A lot of forward thinking there that's subconscious. The Emperor's throne scene in this movie was based on conceptual sketches Ralph McQuarrie made for Star Wars Episode uh, 6, Return of the Jedi, back in 1983. Let's see here. Uh, Anthony. Oh, no. We already talked about that. Um, this is John Williams's final involvement of the whole nine film Star Wars saga, which is not surprising because I think he's 89 years old. Mm-hmm. Let's see. This is the only Star Wars sequel trilogy chapter to not use 70 or... Let me make sure I'm saying this right. Yeah, this is the only Star Wars sequel trilogy chapter to not use 70 millimeter IMAX film cameras.
1: Wait, is that accurate? I thought they did that with the. I don't know.
0: No, to not bad. use 70. Well, I didn't think that they used. The, I'll have to look that up. I did, I was not aware that the original trilogy used 70 millimeter. I thought they used 35 millimeter. Hmm. Interesting. Chewbacca receives a gold medal from Maz Kanata, you know, the the little alien. It being the medal given to Han by Leia in A New Hope at the Uh, end. Yeah, I do that. I actually didn't make that connection. When I saw it, I was like, I don't... Like, it looked familiar. I'm like, what? Had a bit of
1: a brain fart there, Steve. Mm
0: -hmm. And the last one I have here is that Ray becomes the first movie Jedi to have a yellow lightsaber. Once she returns to Tatooine to bury Luke and Leia's saber, she activates her own, which also seems to be made from her staff. And it has, of course, the yellow blade. And that is your movie trivia, courtesy of IMDb. One thing I forgot to mention when we were going through the cast is uh, we didn't really talk too much about Adam Driver's um, performance as Kylo Ren. Actually, I thought he did a great job uh, in this particular film. I thought that, um, again, talking about his character arc, I really liked how there was an authenticity to his acting. It wasn't cheesy at all. I liked how he was able to like walk that tightrope Of being just really interested and, and frankly honest with Ray, even though he was wanting to be a Sith. And so every time he would spoke to her, I had this sense of beware. Um, because I don't know if he was being truthful or just trying to get her to come to the dark side or whatever it is. And so it made him more of a captivating character. And I, I don't know. I, I as a result of both the character arc, but also the way he acted too, like even at the end when he decided to, to give his, the rest of his force essence to, to bring Ray back to life. I really liked that a lot. Actually. I thought the one thing that was cheesy was just the way they edited her coming back to life and him keeling over dying, I thought that was a little <laughs> goofy. But prior to that happening, that action happening, I actually, I really liked, like, I loved the acting on his face and especially when she came back to life. And I, I don't know, I, I really digged the connection that, that both Ray and Kylo Ren had and how, how they, they ended up the way they did.
1: Did you like that? Yeah, I did like that. I, I my problem with Kylo Ren was that I didn't like how he was scripted. I like how Adam Driver acted. I just didn't like how the character was scripted. So, I mean, that's kind of the case with a ton of the other characters too. I, I just, you know, but yeah, towards the end, I the expression on his face totally changed, and he he did he did well acting. So, let's get into our concluding thoughts and rating of the film. Steve,
0: why don't you go ahead and start us off with that.
1: Well, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to come right out and say, I think Kathleen Kennedy needs to turn in her resignation. Oh, uh, yeah, dropping she's, bombs on nah, the program. No, nah. I mean, she's at the helm. She's the one driving the ship. She's the one who needs to take the blame. And, uh, you know, you yeah, had directors come and go. But ultimately, like, if people are going, if half of your entire audience is saying, hey, there's a rock, you need to course correct right now, you need to take some extra time, fix the rudder, we need to stop so we don't crash and all die, and she goes, oh, I'm just going to do it my own way, and then just crashes the ship, and everyone goes, what kind of movie are you making here? You know, I think all the blame really has to go to her, honestly. Um I uh, I think she I think she just betrayed the fans and I think she betrayed Lucas to be honest. There's a clip you can watch on YouTube where it's her and it's Lucas and it's somebody else and they're all talking about the franchise and Lucas is saying, "Okay, I'm going to hand you over the reins here, but I mean, I, I just need you to, to to be respectful of the fans and the story." And she's saying, "Yeah, you know, she's totally with him and she's going to respect the fans and she's going to carry this torch on and she's going to do it the way Lucas would have done it." And um, and then you watch the past three films and you're like, you are not doing this at all whatsoever. Like whatever you said was just so that Lucas would sign everything over to you. And in Lucas with episode one, two and three, he was so dismayed by the fans going, man, this, you're kind of giving us a, cl- a bunch of clowns here. And this is not even you're not even taking it seriously like you were four five and six. And what's going on? Lucas felt like I, I, maybe my time has passed. Maybe I should just sell this to Disney or, or somebody else who has a better vision or who has more money or whatever. And that's what he did. I mean, he, he took it the whole criticism seriously. So anyhow, uh, moving on. Um, you know, honestly, if, if we weren't doing this podcast, I wouldn't even go to the theater to see this. Mm. I would even, I would just wait for it to come out on Netflix or DVD. Cause I, I was so, I, I hated the, the last one so much. I didn't want to go give them any more money. They need to tell me, Hey, this is why you need to give us more money. This is why you need to go buy the toys. This is why you need to go buy uh, tickets. This is, you know, I didn't see it from the last one. I definitely didn't get it from this one. I didn't even get it from solo. I mean, they, they really need to do, go back to formula and, and do a, a restart. Um, the visuals were great. Um, but like I said earlier, they didn't really do much with them. It was more for spectacle. Um, the story moved at light speed. Kind of like light speed skipping for me. I, I didn't get a chance to really digest anything uh, before they just upped and moved to the next planet or next part of the story. Um at the end, my reaction was, well, that's how the the series dies. That's how that's the last <laughs> nail in the coffin. You know, it's, um, I didn't really care about any of the characters or anything. I felt just kind of numb walking out of the theater. And that's kind of how I felt. I, I thought I was going to feel walking in. Uh, but I will say, you know, for those who did enjoy the movie, I hate to poo-poo on it, but I, I'll tell you, I'm jealous of those folks who enjoyed the movie because that's what I want to feel. That's what I want to feel walking in there. I, I, Love this series, and I want the series to continue. I want the magic to continue. I I I didn't want what they gave me, so I I like that folks are enjoying it. Some folks are, and I, but I just wish that I could feel the same. Um, I don't know. I think there was way too many like close up facial moments where they were trying to get a reaction or emotion or expression or some sort of drama from folks. I'm like, yeah, okay, what are you gonna do? And then they just didn't. Again, it just kind of fell flat. So. I don't know. I, I I I'm I'm conflicted. I I I did like it better than the last movie, The Last Jedi, but I felt it was too little, too late. And I felt that doing damage control doesn't necessarily make a good movie. I felt that fan fiction, giving us what we might want to see or might not want to see, doesn't necessarily make a good movie. Even I felt that John Williams doing what he does best doesn't make a good movie, and I mean, like I said in the very beginning of the show, they, they did they tried to do the best they could with a train wreck, and this is what we got. But at the end, it, it's it, it's not enough. It's not even near enough. Like the magic is definitely gone. They, I'm glad with the Mandalorian and um, you know with with Jedi: of The Fallen Order that there is hope left with star wars and with imagination but even just us just sitting here we're thinking about all these other ideas that could have been brought to the table then why weren't they brought to the table i mean and it's so fun to to fantasize about what could be and what we want to see and this that the other and then this is what was voted on i'm like what are you guys doing there with the helm what with all the money and the backing that disney has and the talent like why what are you what are you doing to this series You've completely divided the fan base for those who are like, okay, I'll watch, even if it's a box of dirt with Star Wars stamped on it, I'm going to watch and I'm going to like it versus others who, who are more like me who just say, look, I have really high expectations for this movie that I have adored since I was five years old and I want that continue to, to continue as long as I'm alive. And, I, and right now it's just not giving me a whole lot of faith, at least in, in Kathleen Kennedy's hands. So I'm sorry to poo-poo. I'm sorry to rate on your parade, but that's that's where I'm at. So as far as a rating, um, I mean, I'm going to be generous and say two stars, but I really feel like it's a one and a half. I mean, I, I... they they tried and so I'm giving them the extra point for that and uh, they they've given my some some painting for my imagination to work off of with the Star Destroyers and the Millennium Falcon but I'm telling you even with you know my favorite character out of the whole thing was Chewy he had the most expression and I identified most with him and he didn't speak my language he didn't even look like me you know <laughs> so anyhow um I, that that's where I'm at I think that this has been a learning experience
0: <clears throat> for Disney. And you can tell it makes sense because I think even Bob Iger has gone on record as saying once this film comes out, they're going to pump the brakes. And I think they have come to slowly realize that Star Wars is not a cut and dry type of world that you can just make whatever you want to make and the fans are just going to love it and it'll be just as good as as what has come before it. And I think that due to the fact that there has been a bit of a reckoning with that, I think that this film does attempt to right a lot of the wrongs that The Last Jedi came out with. And when it came to The Last Jedi, I have said many times about how there are a lot of things that as a concept are very intriguing, they're cool, they fit well within the Star Wars canon, but the execution was flawed. And I think this film had to bear the, the 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 burden of having the Albatross that was The Last Jedi around its neck. From that regard, I think it did a good job. I don't think it did a great job, but I think it did a good job in terms of perhaps retconning some of the stuff that was introduced were like, yeah, we just, we'll just act like that doesn't exist as we move forward. Or they were able to make some changes and, and creatively get themselves out of that sinkhole. When it comes to some of the ideas and concepts in the rise of Skywalker, I do like a lot of, of what they, they played around with. I liked the the light skipping i thought that was really cool i liked the introduction of zori bliss i <clears throat> i liked the relationship of kylo ren and ray as it concluded i liked the idea of how they had this very rare connection when it came to the force and how it's not just them but there 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 are others through history who have also shared this type of special type of gateway or connection with the force, that sort of thing, which I think is super cool. Um, I liked the idea of being able to see again, the contrast of some of the original cast, such as Ian McDermott as emperor Palpatine or Billy D Williams as Lando Calrissian. I think even the fact that they are now much older, they, and, it's, and same thing with Anthony Daniels. They just exhibit a certain type of presence that is lacking from the the newer cast, with the exception of Daisy Ridley. I do believe that she is a captivating character on screen, but the persona, the character archetype that was written for her was flawed. And I think that is the biggest issue with her that we've talked about many times and tons of people out there talk about, which is, She has no flaws. She has no vices. What makes someone like Luke Skywalker such a relatable character and someone that everybody can get behind is that he is a deeply flawed character. He is so imperfect. He fails at almost everything he does. But guess what? People are also exactly the same way. That's part of being human. That is humanity to its core is that nobody's perfect and that we tend to make lots of mistakes and screw up a lot. Well, you can't really get behind a character that's
1: one-dimensional that can, you know, do anything and everything. What? The Millennium Falcon? I can pilot it. What? An X-Wing? I can pilot it. What? A lightsaber? I can wield it. What's this? A force? I can use it too. (laughs) Better than Yoda.
0: Now, I will say too that I do love the idea that she was Palpatine's granddaughter. I really, from a storytelling standpoint, that's cool. I dig it. I can get behind that. And, and Daisy has exhibited a fierceness to the character that lends itself to that idea. I think that's really, really cool. However, having said all those different things, I do think that th- there wasn't enough of a deep dive with a lot of these different concepts. I think the ending was lackluster. Um, I think, this is a better film than The The Last Jedi. But I do believe moving forward, they're going to have to do some soul searching at Disney and at Lucasfilm and tell stories that perhaps exist in this world, but are not bound to what was going on with the original trilogy. And I think that, that it is possible to have some great stories. I know that I'm a big fan of Rogue One. Um, also with the, the recent video game the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, I was a big fan of the story, how it unraveled when you get to the ending and you look back on it, you're like, yeah, like, not only did I really enjoy that story, but I want to see where they go from here. And there isn't anybody that gets used in there, um that that we've seen before. So, I, to a certain extent, am with you in the sense that when I left the theater, it wasn't like I had this euphoric, exuberant feeling. It was just one that was like, okay, I saw it and I was I was pleased to be in the world of Star Wars, but it was not on the same level. I think in terms of my rating, I will give this two and a half stars. That's where I'm at. Yeah, it's Christmas
1: time. You're kinder than I am.
0: <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm not being nice. I'm just, I'm really looking at just what was presented. And like I said, I, all those things I listed, I think were very novel ideas. I think it was really, really cool. I think the visuals were great. Um, But yeah, it, it, the pedigree is is a steep one. And You have to be able to invest in your characters and you do so by giving them proper motivation and purpose as well as a backstory. When you do that, you will find that people will instantly bond with those characters. If I don't bond with the characters on screen or if the story itself is not compelling, then I will just look at it as just kind of a a visual spectacle with no substance. I think that there were elements of substance in this film, but I think had they had taken the time to be able to really do a deep dive into some of these things, it would have been uh, the payoff would have been enormous. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week when we reveal our favorite movies of 2019. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. May the Force be with you. All right.